Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy. I'm your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify. You know what to do. Subscribe, rate, review. If you appreciate the show, give us a follow. You know, you know the, the whole nine. You like what you're hearing? Show some appreciation. Simple progress here. Without further ado, my guy, of course, here to talk football as normal. But also, we got to mix in... Some hoop talk because the Knicks just routed the Philadelphia 76ers. It's no joke. Of course, with me here to talk it all through. Patty Boyle, what's up, brother? Bing bong. Bully up, baby. What's up, Petey? Big dub for the Knicks tonight. We got to get a little Knicks talk going here. Man, I am juiced up right now. That's a huge win. Absolutely, man. Being out on the streets of New York City. Approximately 34th, maybe 7th, 6th, depends where you exit. The garden. Bing bong. Is that what you're referring to? The video, uh, the viral video? Absolutely. How upsetting was it that that wasn't our boy Big Zoo? Yo, I, dude, that's literally, <laughs> did, how many people, did, did somebody tweet that? Somebody I was definitely gonna tweet, tweeted it. I was going to tweet the first time I saw that. I was like, that is Big Zoo's evil cousin, evil brother, evil twin. Something. That easily could have been and should have been Big Zoo. It should have been Big Zoo. I think Big Zoo could have done it better with a little more swaggy because Big Zoo's got some swagger to him, as we He's know. got a ton of swag. And if y'all don't know Big Zoo, he's been on this very podcast, so you should know Big Zoo. Uh, but Ed Arzuman, Pat and my uh, buddy from WFAN, Pat, Pat and Ed actually maybe working on a little project. We'll keep it on the wrap. We'll keep it there for now. You never know. We we could probably we could probably spill the beans on that in about a week. Probably, okay. You know, next week we could probably spill the beans on it. And that's what we call a teaser for now. All right. We'll keep that as a teaser. Ed Arzuman, great guy. We'll have to have him back on. We never had him on the three of us. We don't have to make that happen. Anyways, yeah. uh, we're rambling on too long already because there's so much excitement with the Knicks as we saw in the viral videos last week. There might be more viral videos coming out as we speak. But the Knicks just dominated the Philadelphia 76ers. It was one of those victories that was impressive and rare in the history of Knicks fandom, right? Like, you think about all the times the Knicks win games like this, which apparently was a long time since they beat the Sixers specifically. It doesn't happen like this, where they kind of just win starting in the first half all the way through the second half with hardly any bumps in the road. There was a little bit of bump maybe in the third, fourth quarter. The Sixers went on a little run, and they quieted it down. And after that second quarter where they absolutely dominated, they hardly looked back. And it was never something we've been used to. They got they got there a little bit last year, but not even that much because most of their wins last year were still relatively tight. They were playing to their competition, which was usually a good thing because they were playing tight with teams better than them and just beating teams they were supposed to beat. Now, a 13-point victory over the Sixers, holding Joel Embiid to two of seven from the field for 14 points, dominating on defense, having a well-rounded offensive performance. Pat, I tweeted this, and I saw you you actually liked it right before the show started. The story of this Knicks team this year is going to be depth. 
because they are deep in every single position right now. Four of their five starters in double digits. Derek Rose in double digits off the bench. A guy with nine, a guy with eight, a guy with eight also on the bench. They come at you from every angle, and they don't quit. They don't let you breathe for a moment. I love this Knicks team so far. Obviously, it's early. We're not going to go too far ahead of ourselves. But what are you seeing from this team that's got you amped up on your end? I just love the the defense is still there. Like the defense, that was the one big thing I was thinking about going into this season was you get Kemba, you get Fournier. You know, they lose Bullock, their best probably on-ball defender in terms of the perimeter. And I was like, all right, the defense is going to take a hit. Hopefully the offense takes an uptick with the shooting, with more talented scores. And the defense, for the most part, has been just as good. It has been just as good. You mentioned it. The depth is like the first thing I think you think of with this Knicks team. Their second unit is probably as good as almost any other unit in the NBA. And they take advantage of that. That second quarter against the Sixers was unbelievable. And it was largely led by the guys coming off the bench. And the defense overall has been great. They've shot the ball really well from three. And they're just a well-rounded team right now, Pete. They are a well-rounded team. They are as fun to watch this year as they were last year, if not more fun, because now the expectations are high. And through four games, I'd say they've met them. And a big thing, and it was it was perfectly tonight, and I was hoping it was going to play out this way, the disappointing loss on Sunday to Orlando, the Knicks are going to be at such a good betting spot coming off of a loss like that where they then have a home game the next night. I don't care who – or the next, the next game. I don't care who they play. You knew they were going to come out fired up tonight. They did exactly that, and they led basically wire to wire. It's so obvious that this team cares a crap ton. They want to compete every night. They care about their competition level every single night. And when I said they're deep at every position, let's just talk about that real quick because this is something, you know, we, we've we been waiting for any type of point guard for 20 years, and they have two competent point guards right now. Now, Kemba... Obviously, with the health concerns, you know, you can't bank on him maybe for 82. But the way he's playing right now is back to competent Kemba. You know, maybe not all-star Kemba, but it's damn near close at this point in time. And he's playing his role. So it's Kemba and D-Rose in that point guard position. You got Fournier and Emmanuel quickly in that two-guard position. Quickly, a great off-the-bench guy. Spark plug. Can create just a touch, but can knock down jumpers with the best of them. He chose violence tonight, by the way, on Tyrese Maxey when he broke his ankles. Absolutely. And then moving on, you got Barrett and Burks, two guys who can do everything offensively. They can put the ball on the ground. They can spot up. They can create for themselves and do a little bit for others. At the forward position, Julius Randle and Obi Toppin. Who would have expected Obi, Pat, to be this spark pluggy? That's not a real term, but it is now. He's been spark pluggy, and honestly, he's been better than just a spark plug so far this season. He's proven that he earns that he's earned these minutes every single night. Yeah. Yeah, Obi-Wan spark pluggy on to go off of your uh, your, your <laughs> reference right there. No, he works, dude. He works so yes. tremendously well with Julius in the front court. They're a little off ball. They're they're pick and pop. They're pick and roll. Like they're they're give and goes. They have such great chemistry together when they get the ball in each other's hands. And you're right, he's not just a spark plug on defense. Like he's so good in transition for them. He's always looking for the fast break and he's always running back to help on defense. And look, I we're gonna come. I complain all the time, and I complained last year about quickly not getting enough minutes. Obi's not gonna get enough minutes this year. Not gonna. Twelve minutes tonight. It's not enough. But that's Tibbs. That's what you gotta. That's what you gotta take. You gotta take the bad with the good. Tibbs should be playing him fifteen to sixteen minutes a night with the way he's played so far, and he's he's 
he's making the most of every opportunity he's gotten so far. I think it's been a really, really solid progression for him so far in year two. And I, I think he'll probably end up in that 16 per game range, but the, the, thoughts, so. of, the thoughts of him getting to 20 consistently is still a, a bit far-fetched. And then last but not least, Mitch Robinson and Todd Gibson and Nerlens Noel, when he comes back, that's 11 deep. And I think we could honestly say Jericho Sims, maybe not you know 82 games, 15 minutes a night, but 40 games this year, 30 games this year, he's going to be a big dude, giving people ruckus, getting boards. He's huge. Giving ruckus. Yeah, giving out the ruckus. Knox, McBride, and Grimes can come off the bench every once in a while. This team is like legitimately 13 people deep. It's crazy. And you look at the plus-minus tonight, plus-minus in one game is usually misleading. But when it looks like this, all the four of the five bench guys, double digits on the positive in plus-minus tonight. That's Taj, Rose, Burks, and Quickly. All double digits in the positive, plus-minus. The bench mob is real. And it's going to be a problem all year long. Yeah, and I don't want to hear this bullshit either this year about, oh, the Knicks uh, were so lucky in, in their defense that they so many teams that played them missed open threes. Yeah, well, they they guarded pretty damn well at the perimeter tonight. Philly shooting 12 of 41 from deep. Knicks were getting after it. Uh, and they shot tremendously well. They You mentioned it. They did have that bit of a, a fade in the third quarter. But, you know, that that's a game maybe last year where the Sixers get that back to like a five or six point game in the fourth quarter. And then you're like, oh, shit, you're starting to sweat. They put any doubts uh, away pretty early in that fourth quarter. And they they basically cruised the entire second half. They led by 27 in the third quarter. I was like, I was like, do I take the Knicks money line? Do I, you know, maybe parlay them with something else? I ended up going Knicks money line. And I was, you know, it was it was over basically uh, in that third quarter. Yeah. And it was only minus two. So the juice ain't too bad there either which is uh, not a bad setup for you on that winning bet. And we're, we're going to get to football in a moment. But last thing I want to ask you, what are your initial thoughts on the newcomers, Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier? You know, if you want to break that out into offensively and defensively, or you want to do a general take on their whole impact right now, the floor is yours. The, new, the two new additions, Kemba and Evan Fournier, what are your thoughts? I, th- I think they've done, a, you know, exactly what you hoped for this year. Uh, Kemba doesn't have to be an all-star him and D Rose playing 20 to 24 minutes each a night is perfect. It gives them the ability to go balls to the wall and, and show us those shades of MVP D Rose. And, you know, one of the best guards in the game and Kemba Walker from years past, like if they're showing you shades of that every night, they're going to, you're going to be okay. And, you know, so far they've played in their roles. Kemba's so, so great at, at catching and shooting, you know, Julius obviously drawing double teams, kicking it out to the corners, kicking it out to the wings. And just the way the Knicks have moved the ball, I think that sets up these guys perfectly. Kemba and Fournier, who are just good catch-and-shoot guys. And, you know, Fournier obviously exploded for 32 on opening night against the Celtics. Uh, but I think tonight is, is a perfect night for him in terms of what you're looking for. Four of six from deep, a couple of assists. He shoots, you know, gets 18 points. That's what you're hoping for. That's exactly what you're hoping for. And Obviously, most of the games are not going to go as easily and as, as flow as well as tonight, as Wednesday night did, excuse me, Tuesday night for the Knicks. But if you can get a game plan where you look down at the numbers and you look at the way they played, like this is, this is a, a formula for the Knicks to, dare I say it, Pete, grab a top three seed in the East. Oh, baby. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hey, now. Hold it. Yeah. Uh, hey. You asked, you asked for uh, my outlook on Walker and Fournier. Yeah. And Kemba, Kemba struggled in the first couple of games. He didn't shoot the ball too well. Right. And, you know, tonight he made up for it. 
And you hope that uh, he can, you know, kind of be more consistent, not so streaky where he's hot and cold. But uh, I thought he really took his game to the to the next level uh, against the Sixers, and he was the one leading the way from from start to finish. Yeah, and and honestly, the best part about him is that element of shot making that just didn't never existed on this team before. You know, like the, even with yeah. Julius Randle shot making going to a crazy level last year, RJ improving, nobody could do what Kemba can still do despite the injury concerns and the regression that people have seen out of Kemba Walker, he can still do things offensively that no one on this team could do. And and the second best guy at those things now is Evan Fournier. And if you look at his numbers right now, he's shooting 41% from three uh, with just under 10 attempts per game. Now, obviously you include that overtime game, which had a couple extra attempts there um, where he jacked up a handful just in overtime alone. So maybe like eight per game or whatever it may be. That's pretty close to on par of what he hit at his peak in Orlando just last season. He was averaging just under 20 points, seven threes a game at 39%. Right now he's a little bit above that, but the spacing is better. It's a better offensive unit in general than he's played with, uh, than he ever played with in Orlando. And this is relatively sustainable. It'll be interesting to see if he continues to get 16 shots per game. Maybe that'll bring his numbers down, but the efficiency is there and it's been great to watch so far. And man, I'm, I am just excited. I'm telling everybody I know, Pat, if you've been looking for a reason to get invested in the NBA or get invested in basketball, but you know, you think to yourself, Oh, I don't like all the, the, the showmanship and I don't like uh, all the fouls and the, and the pace of the game and all this BS reasons that people tell themselves of why they don't actually start watching basketball. This is the year to turn the Knicks on a couple nights a week and feel it out because they are exciting. They bring so much energy every single night, and it's nearly impossible to walk away not entertained after watching them for four quarters. Yeah, and how about, you know, again, even without Nerlens, uh, uh against the Sixers, getting after Joel, making life difficult for him, and he's a little banged up, but still, you said it. Holding him to two field goals, he got almost all of his points from the free throw line. That is a damn good job from Taj and Mitch down low without your best shot blocker in Nerland's Noel. And uh, you know, I saw Worldwide Wob, Rob Perez already tweeted it Thursday with Chicago. That's going to be war. I can't wait for that game. So it, it, it's been a the Sunday, the Sunday night loss to Orlando at home. That definitely hurt. It was a, you know, a setback. But the way they responded against Philly at the Garden was everything you hoped for. Absolutely. And winning those back-to-backs against the same team is always so difficult. You know, just seeing the same team twice in a row, you just crush them one night, you let your guard down. It's a classic letdown spot. And uh, all you want to see is what you just said, a comeback uh, in the following game, bringing your best effort. And they did just that. So uh, I don't know if you have any other thoughts on the Knicks or basketball that you want to throw out there. I think it's time to get to football, perhaps. Lakers are in trouble. I'll say that really quickly. The Lakers are in trouble. They They are not a good team right now. They're not cohesive. Yeah, obviously it doesn't help that you got Dwight Howard and Davis getting into it on the on the bench. Uh, they are they are going to be, I think, struggling to be above five hundred by the time we get to December. Mm. I, I you know it's tough for me because I haven't seen more than you know five quarters of Lakers ball so far this year, so I don't want to make an assessment um, just yet because I've seen like literally like a quarter and a half here, quarter there highlights, you know. So I don't want to make my assessment just yet. Um, the Russell Westbrook thing was looking like it could be an issue, and now it was an issue in the first couple games, 
And already I heard via NBA Twitter and some podcasts I listened to, he started setting more screens already. And that shows a good sign of them understanding that they need to make adjustments and they can't just let him stand around and be a black hole because that is going to be bad news. And LeBron's taking more jumpers than ever. You know, Melo's been one of the carriers for them on offense. Melo's carried them. Yeah, which is a crazy statement to say it is 2021. So, yeah, it's a lot to watch. I'm not going to go out on on that far of a limb and say they're going to be struggling to be 500. I think they start figuring it out in, you know, a week or two, maybe three weeks. Once we really get stuck into the middle of November, they start to rip off a couple wins and uh, start to feel good about themselves getting towards Christmas. But uh, we shall see. We shall see. And I have to watch a full game of theirs, honestly, too, to make my full assessment. But let's talk about football because now we have basketball going on. We got the World Series going on if you're into that kind of stuff. And we're also now smack in the middle of the NFL season. And it's been weird in the sense that there hasn't been that big upset yet, right? There hasn't been that 10-point favorite who gets knocked down and crush survivor pools across the nation. I feel like, I don't know about you, if you're in any survivor pool, survivor pools, Pat, but the ones that I'm in are running pretty deep right now. Like, I think 20 people have been eliminated so far out of, like, 100 or something like that. Like, whatever it is, like, it's not a lot. It's not a lot yeah. at all. It's not None of those big bracket busters have been going down. However, we have seen a, a handful of interesting upsets, one in which we're going to talk about in a moment, like the Kansas City Chiefs, but otherwise... There's been a lot of things that have gone as kind of expected, kind of expected, because it's not all straightforward. It's not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies for all of these teams, even the ones with good records. So we're going to try to dissect it right here on Subway Sports Talk, cut through the narratives and the bo- and the bogus outside, you know, cut through just the outcome and discuss what we saw on the field. And there's no better place to start, Pat, than with the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Tennessee Titans on one hand. How do you go from losing to the Jets to beating the Bills and beating the, the Kansas City Chiefs? And then on the Chiefs front, how do you say, all right, this defense is so bad. Thankfully, their offense has been so good still. And then their offense absolutely falls on their face. So take take it where you want from that matchup. Because I know you have thoughts on the Chiefs, but if you have thoughts on the Titans, mix it in. The floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, the, the defense is going to be an issue all year long. That's That's not going to change. And Pat Mahomes in this offense knew that going into this year. And when they lost, what was it? Their second game of the year. When they lost to the chargers, I said, this team is going to be in a lot of trouble. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't know this much trouble, but I said, this defense is not good. And then when they've got smacked by the bills on Sunday night, that was when everyone said, Wow. Like what's going on here. And, and we've, we've talked about it numerous times, Pete and Pamela Holmes is a turnover machine right now. He is a turnover machine. We said he has, he is trying to play hero ball to make up for a bad defense. He's forcing throws that don't need to be made. And instead of throwing the ball away, it's anytime the pocket starts to collapse, he floods, he runs, he scrambles to the sideline, which he does a lot of times anyway, but he's doing it almost every play. It seems like now. And then he's thrown across his body. He's thrown it all the way to the backside. He's throwing shit up for grabs. And he's already got what? Nine, seven picks on the year. How many picks does he have? It seems like he's got got double digits. He's got nine. He does have nine, doesn't he? He's got nine picks. Pat Mahomes has nine picks in seven games. Well, actually, uh, 
Did Zach Wilson throw all 11 for the Jets? <laughs> uh, no, Mike White had a couple. Okay, so maybe Zach Wilson and uh, Patrick Mahomes are tied. Either way, not the company you expect Patrick Mahomes in. <laughs> no, and and again, you know, their their offense, now it's it's bled through to everybody. The offensive line has, has worsened since the start of the year. I thought with the rookies, Creed Humphreys and um, blanking on his other name. I, I, I want to say Trent Brown, but that doesn't sound right. Like those are two rookies on the offensive line that started out really, really well. And you're like, wow, they just plugged and, you know, plug and play two new linemen. And now they're looking great already. No, that line has, that line has soured in the last couple of weeks. So you got a poor offensive line in terms of their play in the last couple of weeks, a defense that has been terrible. It's going to be mediocre all season long. That's not going to change. They just don't have enough talent on defense. And now you got Pat Mahomes trying to account and make up for that trying to play hero ball. He's turning the ball over two, three times a game. It seems like two, three times in the first half per game. And also they've played some really good teams. So it, it is, it has been, it has created a perfect formula for a terrible start for a three and four start and a team that everyone is again, just writing into the Super Bowl in the beginning of the year. Not the case. I tweeted it out on Sunday. The chiefs are going to be lucky this year, the way they've played the first seven games, they'll be lucky to win a playoff game this year. I'm not going to go as far to say they're going to miss the playoffs, but they're going to be lucky to win a playoff game. This AFC is deep. It is talented. And right now the Chiefs have a ton of issues. And the one thing you didn't think would be an issue is the offense. And now that's a big problem. Putting up three points against that Titans defense, that can't happen. Yeah, it, it really is bizarre because, I mean, they were one of my picks this, this week. I picked them minus four or whatever the hell I got them at. And I said, this is going to be a week where – the offense continues to prove that it's still elite. The defense may be crap, but the offense is something that you were not we're not worried about and we shouldn't worry about. On this very podcast, I was like, Pat, we're gonna turn around and in six weeks we're gonna see the Chiefs uh, sitting at you know nine and four or whatever it was at the time when I said it, and now they're sitting at three and four and it's ugly. There's no other way to say it because it's not just interceptions; it's fumbles out of Patrick Mahomes. It's you know just an inability to move the ball down the field consistently, and the big play has been ripped away. Now, you can look at the second half against Washington, at, like I did before last Sunday, and hang your hat on that, but it doesn't seem like a very sturdy rack to hang your hat on, uh, beating beating <laughs> up on Washington, right? And the, the schedule's been tough. I still find it so difficult to be like, all right, this team's done. Patrick Mahomes is losing it. He doesn't have it anymore. Whatever that narrative is, that you can turn on any of the big-time channels and hear that narrative. I'm not going to go there. I can't get myself to do that, but there's serious reason for concern. You've been talking about the obvious reason for concern since before it was obvious, and now this whole other portion of it is mind-boggling. So let me ask you the question about the two specific other stars here. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey have been blanketed for their terms, right? I think Tyreek might have had one catch this week. He had a big rush as well. Um is there an aspect to this, the depth on this offense with the receivers not being maybe as deep as it was uh, in years past? And obviously the O-line, which you said Trent Brown, that's a different uh, left tackle. It's Orlando Brown, so you're very close. Um, uh, yes. Is there something to... Oh, no, sorry. The right guard, Trey Smith. Trey had the, had the first name of one lineman and the last name of another on their line. But yeah, yes, Trey Smith and Creed Humphreys, the two rookies. The fact that you know their O-lineman you know, at all is pretty, is pretty impressive in my mind. So... <laughs> <laughs> so what do you make of them having two extreme focal points on offense and no run game to speak of? Is that making it that much easier for defenses 
to just kind of focus in on it. Now, I don't want to say like it's been easy for them because they've put up hella points this year, right? They, they're still putting up a lot of buckets. But is that spe- a specific feature of their offense what's also making it really difficult on Pat to find these teams now? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, Mahomes gets hurt again too in the, I think it was the fourth quarter of that game as well. You know, another could have been scary head injury, had to get helped off the field, looked like shades of the of the playoffs last year against the, the Brownies. Um, he can't afford to, to be hurt because this team is going to miss the playoffs if that happens. So there's, that's one thing Two, uh, Tyreek's been a little bit banged up. I don't think he's a hundred percent, but you mentioned it. You take him out of the game and you know, then it's just Kelsey, you know, no offense to me, Cole Hardman and Byron Pringle. They're fast. They're good athletes. They're not elite receivers. Like, and also Clyde Edwards Alaire is out. Which, you know, Clyde Edwards Alaire, again, not a not the focal point of this offense, but that's another piece where now your running back is Daryl Williams and and you know Jarek McKinnon. Like this offense is now starting to take some hits that you can't afford. So you have again, it's a combination of things. It's not just one thing, it's not just another thing. Kelsey's getting double teamed. Every time he goes across the middle, they're playing the zone and they're they're keeping everything in front of him. And Tyreek Hill just hasn't been that big weapon. I don't think he's 100% right now. He's been questionable almost every week going into, uh, going into the games the last couple of months, or the last month or so. So, uh, again, you get an offensive line that, that doesn't protect Pat Mahomes as well as they did last year. And we saw, obviously, they were, they were getting – he was under fire in the, in the Super Bowl every time he dropped back with all the injuries they had on the offensive line in that game against the Buccaneers. And you get a Tyreek Hill that hasn't been the big play waiting to happen every single time he goes down the field. And you get Kelsey, who teams are not going to let him beat them deep. And this offense is struggling. This offense is going to struggle against good defenses. And also Tennessee was down two people in their secondary. Christian Fulton's on the IR. He's their best corner. Amani Hooker, their, their strong safety was out. And Janoris Jenkins, Jackrabbit Jenkins, is well past his prime. So for them to put up three points, it's a disgrace. It is, it is pathetic. And Eric Bieniemy, who is, you know, we all thought he was going to be the next big head coach, he needs to seriously reevaluate this offensive plan week in and week out. And they have to find a way to pick up yards without just having Mahomes play street ball because they're, they're in trouble. They are in, they're in big trouble. Yeah, on this very podcast, I've been talking about how I've been watching Lamar and Kyler Murray do absolutely everything for their team, and it makes me nervous moving forward. The one blaring miss that I had in that same exact token, that same regard, is Mahomes doing absolutely everything for this offense and then depending on him way too much, and it coming back to bite them in the ass. And that's what we've seen over a couple weeks. Uh, It's not brand new, right? Like Even though they had a bunch of good performances here, you know, 30 against Washington. They just had 20 against Buffalo. They had 42 against Philly. They got under 30 against Los Angeles Chargers. So this is not brand new. This is not a one game fall in their face, despite this one being a little extra of a fall in their face. Thankfully though, Pat, to talk about this and start moving on, they do have what we would call a get right game coming up against the New York Giants on Monday night. Do you expect a get right moment for them? Or do you expect these Giants to be Risky? I don't know. I, I can't really trust. We're going to talk about the Giants in a minute. I can't really trust what they just did against the Panthers. No, you can't because, unfortunately, for our, our pal Sammy Darnold, I, 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 I scoffed at this take at first, but it, it is true now. Without Christian McCaffrey, he's he looks like Sam Darnold on the Jets. He is, he is making bad decisions again now. 
The offensive line is not that good. Without McCaffrey, he is a one-dimensional quarterback. I mean, look at a perfect example. Look at Jameis Winston. I was just, what he's done I was with, just thinking that. Yeah. Look at what he's Alvin. done with New Orleans when you have Alvin Kamara, who you can dump the ball off behind the line of scrimmage to 13 times a game, and that's 100 yards right there. I mean, he went bananas on Monday night. And that is what Sam Darnold was able to do with Christian McCaffrey because teams have to game plan for him not only in the run game, they've got a game plan for him in the passing game. And without that, Sam Darnold has EJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. And when you go up against Can't a team with a him. decent secondary, you're not going to really have a lot, of, uh, a lot of space to throw to and not a lot of separation. And when he's under pressure, Sam Darnold is not a good quarterback. He forces passes. He's been doing it for four straight weeks now. And uh, he looks really, really bad. And um, what, what was the beginning of that question? I kind of got off. It wasn't oh. even a question. I was just saying, <laughs> oh, the, the Chiefs, how are they going to look against the Giants? Let me ask you. Oh, no, sorry. Oh, let yeah, let because me, we can't trust what the Giants did against the Panthers. Let me say this first real quick. Do you know what Sam Darnold's completed air yards were on Sunday? So discounting yak. Discounting yak and discounting incompletion. So only balls that he actually completed and what the air travel was on said passes, on said completions. I'd say five yards. <laughs> Not even close. It was under two yards. I believe, this is according to Warren Sharp, I heard it on the Ringer Gambling Show, 1.7 yards on average completed in the air. His, oh, my God. His full attempted yards, you know, now taking incompletions into effect, in, in, into effect it was closer to five or six yards but completed air yards was under two yards per attempt or per completion. That's terrible. That is, it's pathetic. I mean, you know, again, he can't throw (laughs) the ball down the field with with that. Yeah. He can't throw the ball down the field with accuracy as receivers, Anderson and Warren getting separation. You don't have McCaffrey. They already traded away. Dan Arnold, Darnold and Dan Arnold. They traded him away. Yeah. Um, So they are, they are uh, too confusing for the people who make the jerseys, you know? Yeah, they are an obsolete offense. So, yeah, I don't want to take into uh, account how much, uh, you know, I don't want to take too much stock into that Giants win against Carolina. Um, but I think that spread's really high right now. Is it still 10 and a half Kansas City against the Giants? Because I, that, I to me is, so. that to me is pretty high. And look, they could easily come out and this offense could look normal again for one week. That being said, um, I don't know if it is a get right game because Kansas city has been Jekyll and Hyde one week. You think they're back to normal. Like you said, crushing Washington in that second half. And then they go back and put up three points against Tennessee. So even if they do hang 40 on the giants, I'm not ready to say, Oh yeah, chiefs are back. Here we go. This is the turning. This is the turn of the tide. Now, now let me ask you this Vegas theoretical question here. When I say Vegas, I mean the sports book in general. I, have to, I guess I have to stop saying Vegas because there are sports books located all over the place now, right? Some are headquartered in our own New Jersey, but when sports books come out <laughs> and put this line at 10, is that basically a tip of the cap to Mahomes and the Chiefs saying, we have to give you this respect, especially because the public's going to back you? Or is that an absolute slap in the face of the Giants that the Titans defense, which has been historically bad, just shut this team out to three points? And the Giants defense, who just had their best game of the season, is now expected to lose by double digits. Like, what? where does your brain le- uh, lean there? Is that a sports book covering themselves from the public or is it just no respect for the Giants? 
Um, I know. I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both, you know, sports books obviously are always the best at not overreacting to things. And that's why they win the majority of the time. So they're not overreacting to the Kansas city loss. They're not overreacting to the giants blowout win. Look, the last two weeks, the giants gave up a combined 82 points to Dallas and the Rams, you know, two offenses <laughs> who going into the season, you think aren't as good as Kansas city's. Right. So again, the chiefs can easily hang 40 on the giants. And with how many injuries, the giants offense is still nursing can they keep up with Kansas city, even though the chiefs defense has been terrible. So again, uh, I think that's a game just looking at that. I want zero part of, but yeah, I think it's a little bit of both analyzing what the giants have done as a whole this year. And also not overreacting to the chiefs only putting up three against Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't have to talk too long on Tennessee because we have so many other things to get to here, but real quick, only three yards per carry for Derrick Henry here. Very strange to me that he got that many carries. He had 29 on the day despite them having the lead that they did, you know, you think you might want to give him a break at one point in time, like let him get a one day off kind of, cause he gets so many carries every week, but AJ Brown resurgence eight for a buck 33 Tannehill looks solid. Any thoughts on the Titans after perhaps the weirdest three weeks you can ever put together losing to the jets, beating the bills and beating the chiefs back to back to back. I think we look, I think you can take, you can look at that loss to the jets the first thing that comes to my head, maybe it's not as good of a comparison, but the first thing is you take as much stock in that loss to the Jets as, as much as you did the Packers week one blowout loss to the Saints. Um, you know, they were missing Jones. They were missing Brown for that game. You knew they weren't like they were going to play close with the Jets. I didn't think they were going to lose. But yeah, uh, that is a loss we look back on after the season. And you go, how the hell did they lose to the Jets? And I think that's I think that's what that loss was because outside of that, they beat the Seahawks in overtime on the road. They took care of the Jaguars, beat the Bills, and have beat and have crushed the Chiefs. So uh, I think the Titans are in a really good spot. I think they're a very, very solid offense that is completely balanced, so deep. Tannehill has limited the mistakes. Um, you know, he's taken what's given to him, and they take the occasional shot. And you can do that when you have Derrick Henry as your running back, and teams have to keep seven guys in the box most of the time. Yeah, if you really think about it, uh, if they happen to just lose to Arizona by like 10 or something like that, like or just, you know, a, a relatively closer game or they were, you know, within seven and then Arizona scored late to make it a 14-point loss, whatever it may be, if it wasn't such a blowout and such a embarrassing blowout for the Titans, the way we look at this team right now would be extraordinarily different, I think. It's really weird thing to wrap your head around, but that's what we always talk about, right? You can't just look at individual outcomes. You can't just look at one thing at a time. You have to kind of try to take in the whole picture uh, as you can. And now AJ Brown back to back weeks, 91 yards, 133. He's been, he's been imperative for their offense since he was drafted and him being back on track is going to be huge if he can continue to do so. So it'll be interesting to see where they end up. We thought this division was absolutely trash in the uh, AFC South there for a second Maybe the Colts and Titans are going to hold it together, and the Jaguars may build a little bit with Trevor Lawrence. Who knows? Whatever Meyer, I don't even want to talk about it. But let's move on because there's other interesting games, a bunch of interesting games to talk about. One in particular was really, I don't want to say the game of the week in regards to um, excitement or closeness because it was very exciting, but it wasn't a close ending. It's the Bengals and the Ravens. I don't know if we've talked much Bengals on this podcast, Pat. We may have brushed them Zero. off. Yeah, I think one time we brushed them off as like, 
they're 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 good. They're cute. They're on the outside looking in. We don't need to talk about them yet as an elite team. When we did our big three podcast in the AFC and NFC, now you see the uh, Cincinnati Bengals with impressive wins, some impressive losses at five and two. Just smoked the Ravens. Is it smoke and mirrors at all out of Cincinnati, or do you think this team is actually legit on both ends? Um, I don't I don't know if they're legit, but I definitely need to give them some credit because they have balled out. Uh, Joe Burrow coming off the torn ACL in a half of a rookie season has been sensational. Uh, he threw for 416 yards on Sunday. They decapitated Baltimore on their own field. Uh, they have been very, very, very impressive over the last handful of weeks. And you look at just their last couple of results, beat the Ravens by 24, beat the Lions by 23, beat the uh, loss to the Packers in overtime, a game in which they could have won if their damn kicker could have hit a field goal. Mason Crosby also missed like three in a row. Um, you know, that, that, that squeak win on Thursday night against Jacksonville teams wanted to, dis- I wanted to discredit them after that. Um, they beat the Steelers by two touchdowns. They have been solid. They have been so solid. That's another offense that deserves a lot of credit. Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, Zach Taylor's done a hell of a job as a head coach. I mean, why is it so hard for the Jets and the Giants to rebuild? But you have the Cincinnati Bengals who can rebuild from, what was it, a a near winless season a couple of years ago, and now they're 5-2 and and they look like a top-10 team in the NFL. Um, You know, it starts with the quarterback with Burrow. He's been great. Um, their running game with Mixon and even you got P Ryan getting into the mix for 50 yards. They had, they had Mixon and P Ryan going for a combined 110 plus yards, you know? So when you got a run game that gives you four or five yards of carry, and then you've got Joe Burrow, who's not making mistakes. He's got great weapons around him. You're going to have a solid team. And, and I like, I'm not even, ta- I haven't even talked about the defense, which has also been good. And I, and I said it a couple of weeks ago, too, when the Ravens squeaked by the Colts on Monday Night Football, a Colts team that was nursing several injuries, I said, I'm not sold on the Ravens yet. I'm not sold on them as an offense, especially with the injuries to the running backs. And that defense, that secondary, who we've lauded for the last two, three seasons, with all the talent they have on paper as a defense, they are getting gashed week in and week out for nearly 400 yards a game. And it was 400 plus against Cincinnati. So Wink Martindale, that's another guy. It's another coordinator who we thought was going to get a head coaching job. He needs to take a deep look at himself in the mirror and find out what he needs to do to turn this defense around because they are getting, again, gashed week in and week out in the air. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, oh, I do want to stick on the Bengals here for a second though, but the, the Ravens are an interesting one because they're the same concept uh, as, um, Oh my God, I just lost it now for a second. Or is the Titans where they had like this really weird almost loss against the Lions and it's like, what the hell's wrong with this team? Then they, they lost have, to Chicago a couple weeks ago. Right, and then they have epic wins and, and like just kind of put it all together and then dominate the Chargers and they're on cloud nine and get knocked the hell down by the Bengals. But let's stick with the Bengals for a quick, quick second here. According to Pro Football Reference, I'm seeing this right now, um, the top five teams... Or I should, yeah, the top five three teams, which means they have the least amount of bad throws. It's very interesting here. If you think about the teams I'm going to read to you right now, I'll say six because five and six are tied. Um, it's the Cardinals with the least, aka Kyler Murray, Niners with the second least, Cowboys, Bengals, Saints, and Seahawks. Now think about that real quick, right? Because you're like, oh, well, what does that even mean? The Cardinals and the and the Niners are not the same, exactly. So the Niners are not throwing. They're not asking their quarterbacks to throw difficult passes, less opportunity to throw bad passes. If you watch what 
the Cardinals are doing, the Cowboys are doing, and the Bengals are doing versus the Niners, Saints, and Seahawks. It is so much more impressive to think that they are in the lowest echelon of, or the highest echelon, the lowest total of bad throws this year. And it goes to show how accurate Joe Burrow's been and how he gives all of his receivers opportunity. And he trusts Jamar. He trusts T. Higgins. He trusts Tyler Boyd. He trusts all these dudes, even C.J. Uzoma. He trusts them. And most importantly, and most likely leading to their success, they trust the hell out of Joe Burrow. His accuracy is legit. He's a dude. And he comes out to game every single week. It's impressive with what they've done this point. Yeah, Jamar Chase has been... uh has been nothing shy of amazing. Uh, he, he is an absolute baller. He's a stud. Uh, he is so good against uh, zones, against defensive zones, against cover threes, against cover twos. He finds the spaces. Him and Bro, that chemistry, obviously they've had it for years. That was such a, a spot-on draft pick for them to get Jamar Chase a year after getting Burrow. And, uh, you know, again, the, the tackles on their offensive line, Jonah Williams and Riley Reif, they have protected him. They've protected his blind side. They've protected Burrow. Again, they, they've been a well-oiled machine on offense the last couple of weeks. And uh, the only way to, you know, discredit everything we've been saying now is for them to go out and, uh, you know, almost get beaten or get beaten by the Jets on Sunday. That would be so classic because... That, that... would be the upset of the year for me is if the Jets <laughs> beat the Bengals this week with Joe Flacco and or oh, Mike White. Uh, I, yeah, I would assume Flacco is going to start if they beat Cincinnati. Flacco, you know, he's from that AFC North. He knows the team, bro. You never know. You never know. I mean, how many times? I mean, what do we like? We That's can go hilarious. into the Jets. It's not worth no, it. No, but no, we're going to get there in a second. We're going to get there in a second. Okay. I'm no, just, no, go, uh, go, go off. You, go off. I don't even care. Go off. I mean, I'm starting to sour on Joe Douglas. Like, what the fuck are you doing going into a season with a rookie quarterback and his backup, a guy who has never taken a snap in the NFL? And then you say, oh, oh let's go, just go get Joe. Let's go get Joe Flacco again. Like, what are we doing? I'd rather play Mike White, honestly. Like, what are we even doing? You're right. Like, what are we doing with Joe Flacco out here? That's unbelievable. What are we doing not having a backup quarterback with solid experience to prove as a mentor for Zach Wilson going into the season? Josh McCown at? You know? Shit. Like, I'll get Josh McCown back in here. He's 49. Josh McCown. He's 49. I'd still take him over Flacco, I think. I don't know. Sheesh. It's a shame shame Fitzpatrick got hurt. He'd probably be the starting quarterback for the Jets this week. Oh, my God. You know what, honestly, though? You know what I expect now out of the Jets is they're going to challenge that record that Sam Darnold probably just set at completed air yards below minus (laughs) 1.7 yards. And, uh, like, Elijah Moore and, you know, whoever else is even healthy for the Jets receiving core right now, they're just going to get peppered on one-yard screen attempts and get three yards in attempt. It's going to be really Yeah, really it's going to be Keelan Cole and, and uh, Denzel Mims. Maybe Denzel Mims gets three targets this week. I mean, Keelan Cole and Jamison Crowder, little uh, bubble screens all, all goddamn game long. Oh, my God. Also, uh, a much easier way for me to have explained how accurate Joe Burrow has been is that he's second in on-target percentage behind only Kyler Murray at 82%. Kyler's at an unreal 85%. Probably a much more straightforward way of explaining my point, huh? Yeah. No, and, and Burrow, <laughs> another guy, too. What, what did he have? Four picks that one game against Chicago? What was the game he had all those interceptions? I think he had three or four against the Chicago Bears. And I was like, ah, yeah, that, that's that's what I expected out of Cincinnati this year. Since then, he's been, he's been remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and now we just have to uh, see if they, they can hold it throughout the rest of the season. Only thing they have that's guaranteed to be going for them is the 5-2 lead in the standings, right? They can play near 500 football 
and most likely still be in the playoff picture. Now, they're in a tough division, we know, with the Ravens, and if the Browns can get healthy. But nonetheless, they have a nice little cushion here to, to keep themselves where they want to be, um, you know, in regards to making the playoffs, which would be an extraordinary accomplishment for this team based off uh, of what that what they just went through last year. And I Zach think Taylor, Zach, sorry, Zach Taylor would be coach of the year if they make the playoffs. Probably, probably. And especially if they win the division, I think they definitely will give him it after that. And uh, I think like 90% of football Twitter needs to apologize to their general manager for taking Jamar chase because everybody was like, Oh, you got to protect Joe Burrow. You got to get the old lineman. I probably said it on this podcast myself. You know, I always said I loved Jamar Chase and his talent was sick and then everyone's nervous. Thank God, me and you, we did that little picks pod uh, for week one. And I was like, ah, after all this BS in the preseason, watch Jamar Chase dominate week one. He's not only dominated week one, he's dominated the seven straight weeks. He's insane. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, also, quick shout out. Lou Anarumo, Staten Island guy. His son, uh, graduate of Monsignor Farrell High School. Defensive coordinator for Cincinnati. Obviously, off to a great start this year, doing a great job. So shout out to Lou and Arumo and uh, yeah, go Bengals, I guess in that regard, but let's move on to a few other teams here and it's going to kind of incorporate some giants and jets talk. And I want to start with the new England Patriots because they're a hard team to read Pat. You and I were talking before the podcast started. It's really difficult to sense who they are and what they're going to be in a couple weeks because they have, a weird offensive performance one week. Then they put 50 on the Jets. They almost beat the Cowboys, but it kind of wasn't nearly as close as it seemed on the scorecard. So what or how do you even assess this team? Some people want to say Mac Jones has been amazing and he's by far the best rookie and he's on his way to amazing things. And then sometimes it's like, he's not really doing that much. I, I don't know what to think about the Patriots. Do you have any firm thoughts here? Or are you as confused as I am? I, I honestly am Pete. I, I really am because I, I look at Mac Jones and for me, he, I, I can't tell you whether or not he's going to be a good, a great quarterback in two years. Cause again, you mentioned it. There's times where he has a great game against the, the Dallas defense. And obviously they lit up the jets. I mean, look, the jets had practice squad guys, like basically pull them off the street who were playing, uh, in that linebacking core in that second half. I mean, they, they lost like five, six guys in the defensive side of the ball in that game. So, yeah, 54 is impressive no matter who you do it against. But against that Jets defense back on Sunday, uh, let's take it with a grain of salt. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the Patriots, too, from like a week-to-week basis, I really don't know what we're going to get from them. And it, it makes it so difficult to try to read them as a team. I mean, you mentioned it. Let's just, again, let's go through them really quickly. They lose to the Dolphins in week one, which now you look back on and you say, that's a bad loss because the Dolphins are terrible. Tua has taken a step back. He was injured again. He's taken a step back. I thought he had some good moments last week, though. I'm not going to lie, but we'll get there in a second. Yeah, but again, like that one pick he threw was terrible. He's going down for a sack and he literally just floats it up. So, I mean, I think he's taking a step back again. He, he was hurt again. Um, they, they've crushed the jets twice. They get blown out by the saints. They nearly beat the Buccaneers in that rainy game where Brady comes back. They squeak by the Texans. They almost beat the Cowboys and they rip the jets again. So like, I, again, I, I, I'm as confused as you um, in terms of how Belichick is going to get the most out of this team. Um, what you can expect from this offense on a week to week basis 
Uh, the defense is kind of middle of the road. You know, again, they've got some good players, uh, Kyle Van Noy. They've, they, they've got a, a decent defensive line, but I really couldn't tell you it, where the hell the Patriots are going to end up this year. The one thing I think they want to do, and they've now kind of done it the most successfully the past two weeks, is feed Damian Harris. And when that happens, they control the game in a way they want to. Slow it down if they need to slow it down. They open up their play-action passing opportunities where Mac Jones has looked good. Like, he looks comfortable, right? Like, that's the thing where I think people who wanted to like Mac Jones who were saying that he was going to be the best guy, you know, out of the group, maybe they're committed to their take. You know, we've all done that before, right? They like how he looks comfortable most of the time, how he seems to be progressing uh, or going through his progressions quickly enough and, and whatever. But then there's just moments where nothing happens on their offense, right? So it's such a weird thing where... He looks comfortable and he looks calm, cool, collected, and he's like a good leader or whatever the hell you want to say. But then you look up and it's like they're not really gaining yards. They're not doing anything that special. They're not scoring touchdowns. What what, what is what are you hanging your hat on? And then Damian Harris runs for 100 yards two weeks in a row and they controlled the game and they were in both of those games. The only thing I know is that the NFL constantly shits on the transitive property, Pat. It, that the transitive property makes no sense, right? Like the Titans crushed the... Uh, get loose to the Jets. They crush the Chiefs. The the Patriots played the Titans in a couple weeks now. Like, yeah. what's going to happen there? None of, none of it matters, right? So, I don't know what the Patriots are giving on a week-in, week-out basis. They can easily play toe-to-toe with the Chargers coming up this week and then lose to the Panthers. Like, that's what the Patriots are capable of right now. I think they need to attack the run game, figure out how to use their tight ends a little bit more because they haven't really had Henry and uh, John Smith be relevant much this year. And I don't think they're a playoff team. I think they're going to be on the teetering point of playoff action. They're going to be fighting for a spot late. I just can't imagine this team being one of the best seven in the AFC right now. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. And, you know, you look at their upcoming schedule. You mentioned the Chargers on the road, Panthers on the road, the Browns, Falcons on the road, the Titans, Bills, Colts, Bills again. And then they finish the year with the Jaguars and the Dolphins. You hope at that point that they have a chance to get into the playoffs with those two games left because those are two games that they should win. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned it. It just it seems like at times there's, there's still a lack of direction with this offense and what they want to do. But I think you hit it on the head. They've got to get Damian Harris the ball, um, and they've got to control the time of possession um, and, and really just kind of take away what other teams can do against them offensively and, and not put their defense, you know, so much pressure and so much expectations on the defense to get a stop every single time. And as someone heavily invested in Damian Harris fantasy world, let's get him some more touchdowns here and stop letting Brandon Bolden just vulture his touchdowns. I'm sick, I'm <laughs> exactly. sick of it. Jade. Yeah, well, that was our blowout. That's fine. You know, I'll allow JJ Steven or whatever the hell the guy's name is. I don't know. Um, on the Jets front, you said a couple weeks back, that what you would tell a Jets fan if you tried to make them feel better, well, at least Zach Wilson's not hurt. So you can't say that anymore. Is there anything left on this season? Is there anything that you can point to as a positive? You can probably argue their defensive unit in general has been fine and something to look at as a positive, positive adjacent adjacent to the Jets' expectations. But you just give up 50 to the Patriots, and I don't even know. Why are Jets fans tuning in on Sundays moving forward? If you're a masochist and you like to hurt yourself and you like pain. <laughs> Hold on. I got, I, got a, re- I got a better drop for that. I hate myself. 
There you go. That's why they tune in on Sundays, man. Oh, mama mia. That's bad. And and I see still some people that are Jets fans try to put a spin on this. There is no spin to put on this season. Zero. Oh, there's one spin. There's one spin. What is it? They currently have the fourth and eighth pick in the draft coming up. That's the spin. That's it. Yeah, because they've drafted so well over the last year, couple of years. <laughs> Besides that, there are no spins. That's the only spin. There, there, there isn't. I said the one thing is if Zach Wilson's healthy. Well, now he's out two to four weeks. The defense was what you were hanging your hat on. They get torched uh, for a record. It seemed like a record, fifty-four points. I think it was the most points they had given up in forty years. And now they've got guys hurt on the defensive side. Zach Wilson's hurt. Again, I still don't have any clue what the hell is going on with the whole Denzel Mims thing. He is basically going to be gone from the team, it seems like, at the end of this year, or they're going to get him out of there as soon as they can. Uh, Corey Davis was dropping passes all over the place the first couple of weeks, but when you have teams that are accounting for him and saying, okay, hurt us with Jamison Crowder and Keelan Cole or hurt us with Eli Moore or hurt us with Michael Carter, it's, it, that's, it's not a good offense. It is a semi-professional level offense with a head coach who once again is in over his head in year one, an offensive coordinator in LaFleur that is in over his head in year one. And I just don't see where this organization turns the tide. I don't see it. They are a failure of an organization. They are a failure of a team. I, (laughs) it's going to be a long time before the jets are winning football games consistently. Man, long time. The only positive I'll say on the on the draft pick front is that they don't have to take a quarterback next year. So you hope at four and eight they get at least one really good player. <laughs> you know, and it, they, and, they and it started again. Huh? Yeah, I mean, it started again the beginning of the year when they when they lose Carl Lawson to the year. Like right oh, away, man. that was a kick in the ass. Your best defensive player done for the year. Yeah. So you and they they've gotten zero pass rush. They have zero. Like they they extended John Franklin Myers. Like he was like the hero of the defense. Like it's a guy that is you know playing a little bit above his of his weight class right now. He was having a really good start to the season, but that's it. C.J. Mosley hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's your best linebacker. The secondary still sucks. It sucks. They're just a bad team all, all around. Like well, it's, wait, it's, I have, it's exhausting. I have one more thing. I have one more thing the Jets fans can hang their hat on. Then we got to move to something positive here, right? Uh, that Jamal Adams has been a wreck in, in Seattle. They can hang their hat on that, baby. Let's go, let's go Jets. Let's go Jets. <laughs> Jamal Adams sucks. <laughs> yeah, the one thing, yeah, they, it looks like they won, <laughs> won the trade, maybe. No, well, until Jam- winning the trade, they just didn't lose the trade. That's it. They didn't lose. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, you didn't lose the trade. That's hilarious. But, I mean, the, the amount of mental mistakes I saw from an NFL defense against the Patriots was just mind-boggling. And for anybody who's complaining about them running up the score, which a couple of Jets players and a couple of Jets fans did, shut up. Like, shut the hell up. It is the NFL yeah, I'm one. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of all that. Two, they were still bringing some blitzes in the third and fourth quarter. You're blitzing against Bill Belichick. He is going to try to run up the score. And it's the Jets anyway. He tries to run the score up against them every single time. So I don't want to hear that. If you're, you get if you're your upset, ass kicked, that's exactly what you deserve. If you're upset about that, about that, write a letter to Vic Fangio and cry about it. Let your tears shed on your handwritten letter to Vic Fangio and go cry about it. I don't want to hear it, bro. Come on. It's the NFL, and these offenses have 
minimal times to do some of these things sometimes in real game like speeds. Guess what? It's 30 to 5, 30 to 3, whatever whatever the score is. 30 to 3. I don't care. You got to get those reps in on game speed and build on to your next week and your next week and your next week. You keep running it up. You keep doing what you got to do. Now, if it's two minutes left and you're up 54 to whatever, fine. Fucking slow down a little bit. Other than that, I don't care. Let it ride. Offenses, keep keep it going. Let's move on to something more positive now, Pat, here on Subway Sports Talk. And we'll move on from the one and five Jets to the two and or one and six Jets. Yeah, one and six. One and five. One and five. Oh, they had, they had a buy already. Let's move from yeah. the one and five Jets to the ever exciting two and five Giants. And I, let me just ask you this question to prompt you. How do you assess this team with their injuries? The Jets have a hell amount of injuries. The Giants have their fair share. Um, how do you assess Daniel Jones? How do you assess this team? They had a win. Does it even matter? Um, yeah, it does because this is still a year where you can salvage a lot of things. Um, look, at this point, I don't want to hear about injuries for any team because every single team has dealt with injuries. The Saints were dealing with five, six of some of their best players out for the last couple of weeks. And uh, and then they turn it around, they get guys back, and they beat the Seahawks in a sloppy Monday night football game. Um, you know, Green Bay is now dealing with Devontae Adams and uh, Lazard with COVID for this Thursday night game. Panthers dealing with McCaffrey. Every single team. You can look at the Browns. I can run down almost every single team has had injuries to numerous players at some point in this season, and it's going to continue. So I don't feel sorry for the Giants. You don't feel sorry for anybody. Um, so that being said, you know, they, they you lose your captain on defense in Blake Martinez, and they've been dealing with injuries to the receiving core with Galladay, Shepard, and Tony now for the last couple of weeks. That was a big win for them. It was a big win for this season because – you really want to see Joe judge get comfortable as a head coach. I think he's had a bad, it was a bad, terrible start to the season and you know, everything can kind of fall downhill. You can lose the, you know, the cliches, which are true. You can lose the locker room. The players can quit on you. It doesn't seem like the giants are that kind of team. They're not as much of a dumpster fire as the jets. They're still a bad football team. One that I really thought was going to win the NFC East this year. Um, And I, you know, recanted that about three, four weeks into the season but I'm still sticking with Daniel Jones. Uh, I think, again, he is the best athlete on that team. Um, he bounced back after a really poor game against the Rams, uh, completed 23 of the 33 passes. You know, didn't get a whole lot of yardage, only 203 yards, but still he's always a threat to run, makes the sick one-handed catch on the, the trick play. Um, so he, he looks like he's getting more and more comfortable every single week. And I think that is of primary importance for them still is the quarterback on almost every single team. Do you have your quarterback for the future? I do think the Giants have their quarterback for the future with Daniel Jones, uh, the offensive line. They're dealing with a revolving door almost every single week. Can Andrew Thomas get healthy? Uh, can guys continue to step up without Nick Gates? Um, and then the defense, the secondary, which got off to a shit start, which we were hanging our hat on. I thought it was going to be an elite secondary. They started to, they're starting to look better now over the last couple of weeks. And Patrick Graham uh, really has to get the most out of Adoree Jackson and Bradbury and Logan Ryan week in and week out, because if at least they can stop teams from throwing deep, you keep games close, you know, games get out of hand when teams are throwing deep on you and getting 40, 50 yards a chunk. So if that secondary can continue to play like they have the last couple of weeks now, 
The Giants, again, are going to keep games in front of them. The defense is going to hold teams to field goals rather than touchdowns on lengthy drives. And even if they lose games, they're probably going to lose games by three to seven points, which is what they did last year for a majority of their losses. So I think that was a big win for the Giants. Um, do I think that they're going to get back into playoff contention? No, but I, I think that you still can see things in terms of progression week in and week out that can keep Daniel Jones's job, that can keep Joe Judge's job, and that can uh, keep Dave Gettleman, you know, save Dave Gettleman his job too. Right. We, we could argue if that's a, a great thing, a good thing, or a bad thing, or a really ugly thing. That's, that's an argument for a different day. We don't have the time right now. Um, their next three are against the Chiefs at the Chiefs, then home versus the Raiders, and at the Buccaneers. You know, they could easily be two and eight after those next three games, and that's going to be incredibly difficult to even make a salvageable season after that. But again, it's about the assessment. It's about Daniel Jones. And, you know, it's easy to say, oh, it's hard to assess him without his top tier uh, receiving talent and Saquon Barkley in the game and whatnot. But if he can do things without those guys, you expect him to do more with them. And I think he's earning his fourth year easily. I don't know where he is on the earning his next uh, contract ranking, right? Like, is he ready for a long-term commitment? I don't know about that. I think you're going to want to keep your options open. You're going to stay flexible uh, through his rookie contract and then maybe assess it when you get closer to the end. But that's not always how the NFL works, right? You might have to do it a little sooner. You might be able to hold it out, and they probably will because of the record and because of that, all that stuff. Um, but he he does look better. And, and And as somebody who's been a bit of a hater on Daniel Jones, not seeing all the winning plays consistently, he's still not throwing a ton of touchdowns, so you can't put that all on him right now, as you just explained. He's better. He's better today than he was six weeks ago. He's better six weeks ago than he was a year ago. And that's pretty much undeniable. Yeah. And again, I think he's, I think one of the biggest liabilities to this Giants team, the big all of last year and the beginning of this year was Jason Garrett. So whether or not he keeps his job, that's still to be seen. Um, but I think the offense, again, dealing with all the injuries they have, and again, you can't feel sorry for them because you're not going to feel sorry for any other team, but dealing with the injuries they have, I, you know, that, that was a big step forward for them beating the pass. And again, because Carolina's got a good defense. As bad as they are offensively, the pass rush has still been great. You know, they're still getting the quarterbacks uh, almost every play. That secondary is decent. They, you know, they were they were the best defense in the NFL through the first two weeks. They're obviously not anymore. It's now you get a bigger sample size. But that was a decent Carolina defense that they took advantage of. They took advantage of the turnovers. They put up 25 points. You know, again, we were how many times last year in the last couple of years were we saying Are the Giants going to get to 20 points? Wow, what was that streak of games where they failed to get to 20? They got to 25 pretty comfortably in a blowout win. So again, it's a small step forward. Uh, you still need to see more from the Giants, but that was a win that, you know, could get their season back on track somewhat. Yeah. And you hope that if they had a bit of a softer schedule coming up, they can sneak around 500 again, but with the next three. No, uh, they, they, they blew those chances early on losing those games to Atlanta and Washington. Yeah. Cause then they have after Casey, uh, Las Vegas and Tampa, they have the Eagles and Dolphins winnable games followed by the Chargers and Cowboys. You know, like, it just doesn't stop in this league. And in this NFC is difficult, uh, and their AFC schedule is not easy getting the AFC West either. They already lost to the Broncos. They could easily go 0-4 against those AFC West teams that they got pitted up against this year. Uh, so it's not looking pretty. Not looking pretty hey, think, for the Giants. I think if the Giants finish this year 7-10, and 10, it's a... Oh, my God. It is a... They're fortunate to finish 7-10. and 10. smokes. Yeah, I can't even... Yeah, you know. Maybe that would put them at five and four the rest of the way or 
No, that would put them at five and five. I can't. I don't know if I could picture that. I don't know if I could even picture that. So we'll we'll see what happens with the Giants moving forward. We'll talk about them, obviously, but it's just important to see them putting up competitive performances. And we're back to that. That's where we're back to with the Giants. It's not about winning again. It never really was about winning this year, but you, you always hold out hope for a competitive season, sneaking out a few wins. Uh, but they haven't even really kept many games close against the elite competition. You know, they got smoked by the Cowboys and the Rams. And now maybe they'll keep it close against the Chiefs, Raiders, and Bucks, but don't like their odds. Do not like their odds. Hopefully Tony gets back and we can see him work a little bit and become a piece for them moving forward. But that's really about it. Um, let's move on. Subway Sports Talk, Pete Kennedy, Pat Boyle. And let's talk about the Packers. Let's talk about the Cardinals, who had, you know, big double-digit wins. The Packers a little bit more bumpy, though the Cardinals wasn't silky smooth either. It took them a minute to get going. They end up winning big anyway. They face off on Thursday night. It's one of those games that's going to be called the measuring stick game. I think you called it that while we were prepping, talking about what we're going to talk about tonight. Currently, the Cardinals are minus six and a half at home, high over under 50 and a half. You know, it's a game where you expect big time points, and it's really a moment for the Packers to kind of try and show that their six and one is legit. Because I think everybody's come around and said, hey, the Cardinals might not be the best team in the league. They might be the best team in the NFC. They might be the third best team in the NFC, but they're really good. They're they're undeniably really good. The Packers, there's a lot more questions about who they are and what they are on defense, as well as, you know, Sands, Devontae Adams, what they are on offense. So what are your expectations going into this game? And did you learn anything from week seven that gives you insights heading into Thursday night? Well, again, I would just like to once again, Pete, say I said the Arizona Cardinals were going to get to the NFC title game. That almost looks like it's expectations for them now with how well they have started this season. I just, I thought they were going to be a complete team offensively and defensively. I said, Kyler Murray, I think he was going to have an MVP type season from start to finish rather than just chunks of a season. He's done that so far. They've got a balanced run game with Edmund and Connor. Um, and um, the, the the defense too, the way they've been able to get to the quarterback, the addition of JJ Watt, Chandler Jones, who was on fire to start the season, got hurt a little bit. Other guys picking up the slack and the secondary, which we thought was going to be the weakness of this team. You know, guys like Byron Murphy, guys like Robert Alford, they've been very good in coverage. And again, credit to Cliff Kingsbury. He has managed games exceptionally well. I said, I thought he was going to learn from a lot of those late game mistakes he made um, last year. And it seems that he has. Now, look, they've won a lot of games comfortably. So you can also make the argument that they haven't really been tested in a whole lot of tight games. You know, I'm looking at their their last uh, every game this year. It seems like they win by double digits outside of that game against San Francisco, which even then they still found a way to get the win um, and the even and the cover. Exactly. The win and the cover. Have they what are they, are they undefeated against the spread? Or they no, they haven't they, covered once. They did not cover against the Vikings when they won on a, uh, the Vikings. Yeah, the last second field goal. Field goal. Yes, yeah, one yeah. game that they haven't covered this year. They've put up 30 points almost every single game, and their defense is holding teams to 20 points or less in almost every single game. So Arizona's been great. I was hoping that this was going to be the the one of the best games of the year. I, the, the measuring stick game, not sure if you can say that now, Pete, because I'm looking here, and it's looking very unlikely that both Devontae Adams is going to play along with Alan Lazard. They've got COVID. They're going to have to get two negative tests. 
uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday in order to play Thursday. I think we're going to get the result back from their Tuesday test uh, sometime in the morning when everybody's listening to this game. If that comes back positive, they're done. Uh, either way, it looks unlikely that they're going to play. So this is now a once again, and I can't believe I'm saying this, a game where Aaron Rodgers, I think, has to prove himself. You know, they get blown out week one and everybody, again, is ready to crush Aaron Rodgers for all the offseason stuff. All they've done since is rattle off six games in a row. And even then, you mentioned it. There's still questions being asked of this Green Bay team like this. The Packers can never catch a break. It seems like they're always under the intense lens of scrutiny. And if they lose this game without Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard, people are going to inevitably say that again. But they're going up against one of the best teams in the NFL. And it's going to be interesting to see how Aaron Rodgers and this offense does uh, with basically his number one and number two targets being Randall Cobb and Equinemius St. Brown. So this is a huge game for him. It's a huge game to see if they can get Aaron Jones getting going early and often to take pressure off of Rodgers. And also big questions on this defense who is still, you know, missing Zadarius Smith for the foreseeable future, missing Jair Alexander for the foreseeable future. Can they slow down this dynamite offense led by Kyler Murray? Ultimately, I think that's too tough of a task to ask for them, especially with Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard being out. But if Green Bay finds a way to cover and go on top of that and win this game, then I think all of a sudden Green Bay goes to the top of the list in terms of, you know, Super Bowl favorites. Yeah, and Aaron Rodgers has been nearly flawless in prime time, and this is going to be one of the toughest tasks that he has to continue that incredible record in prime time. Let me ask you one more question on the Cardinals before we move to our last segment. Does it worry you at all that Kyler Murray's rushing has been non-existent for three weeks? He has less than a yard per carry over the last three weeks, uh, just 17 rushing yards over the past three does that worry you at all? Because it was a big part of his offense last year. It was a big part of his offense um, in the first three games of the year where he had, you know, 20, 30, 20, 40 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns. Now it's almost non-existent. He's still putting up points right now, but does that make you concerned at all with him maybe not having his full bag right now? No, not at all. Honestly, not at all. They're not running a whole lot of design plays for him. They're supplementing his throwing ability with the two uh, running back system with Chase Edmonds and James Conner, and they're running the ball efficiently. You know, again, 15 for 81 for Edmonds uh, in their last game. And James Conner, again, who has been solid when they've gone to him, you know, he's scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And I'm looking at his numbers um, over the last couple of games here. If this would work. Yeah. 10 for 64, 16 for 71. So they, they, they're running for over 120 yards per game with those two guys alone. Then you throw in the fact that Kyler Murray can rip it when needed. They're not running a whole lot of design plays for him. And Cliff Kingsbury is playing the smart. He's managing this season. He does not want to get, and he cannot afford to have Kyler Murray get hurt. So look, if, if they need it in the playoffs, Kyler Murray is going to be running the football. That's for damn sure. He's too fast. He's too agile. He's too dangerous of a runner for them not to use him as a weapon, but they're not using him, you know, when they don't necessarily need to in the middle of a regular season in which they now, I think, have gone from playoff hopes to Super Bowl hopes. So, no, not worried at all that Kyler Murray has not run the ball that much. Again, they have it when they need it, and they might you might see him run the ball a little bit more on Thursday night. There we go. I look forward to it. That's going to be an awesome, awesome game to watch, hopefully, because – you know, we've seen the Packers kind of go one of two ways where they play an epic game and they compete to the last drop or they dominate whatever, or they have a tendency to get strangely blown out 
every once in a while. And this is one of those opportunities where that could be predicted with good reason. You know, typically you don't predict them getting blown out or Aaron Rodgers getting blown out with good reason. This is one of those cases where you could possibly predict that. And we'll see if Aaron Rodgers and that banged up offensive unit is up to the task of riding with one of the best offenses we have in this league right now in Arizona. So it, it should be a fun one. But now, Pat, on to our favorite segment of the week, or at least I like to call it that. It's where we either have regrets or we hate ourselves for some of our picks. And now I was 2-2-1 two, two and one bringing my record uh, to 22, sorry, 21, 20, yeah, 21, 13, and 1 with my push on Monday night with the Saints. And unfortunately, Pat, another rough one for you. Uh, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Because I have one queued up. Go ahead. You go ahead, man, because you're off. To, you have uh, you have picked up the slack for my mediocrity this year. You are on quite the roll, man. So go ahead. Uh, I appreciate that. I believe our combined record is just at 500 right now. Uh, I, I don't have the exact number in my head, and I'm bad at quick math, so I'm not even going to try. I think we're a game under because if you're 21, 13, and 1, I'm 13, and 22. That would put us at 34, and 35, and 1. Damn. Only if the Saints could cover three, we would be 500 right now. Those damn Saints, whatever. All right, let me start <laughs> off with my first one. We decide if we regret something or regret nothing, or maybe we have some self-hate. In this case, Pat, I'm going to say... And that's with my first pick of the week, the Kansas City Chiefs minus four. Now, obviously, we talked through the whole Chiefs thing early on this podcast and how ugly it is on their defense and how bad of a performance that was on offense and how up and down the offense has been in general this year, especially the past week or two. However, I don't regret anything because of the history that I based my selection off with the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Do you know how many times, Pat, that Patrick Mahomes hasn't scored 20 points since he took over as the full-time starter in Kansas City. That's including three seasons and up until uh, this season now. So three and a half seasons, we'll say. Bef- including that game now? Including that game. I'd say they've failed to get to 20 points twice. That's a great, great guess. So including that game, it's three times. But yeah. with not including that game, he only two times before that has he not gotten to 20 points. One of them was a win where they won 17 to 14 in week 16 against the Falcons a year ago or two years ago. And one was a loss where they scored 13 points uh, back in 2019 uh, to the Colts. And now there was a 19 to 13 loss. That means in wins, losses, doesn't matter. The floor for them is basically 23 or 24 points. That's the floor for Patrick Mahomes and this offense. In wins, they're usually like 30, 40 points. It's not rare to see that at all. So I don't regret backing them this week, even based off what we've seen from them offensively with the mistakes. They usually sandwiched mistakes with big plays and points and touchdowns and Tyreek getting busy and whatnot. So I'm not going to sit here and hate myself and beat myself up over betting on the Chiefs in this minus four spot against a Titans defense that was supposedly terrible where they fell flat on their face. I'm chalking it up as a you know one-off offensive opportunity or lack of uh, performance there for the Chiefs, and I expect them to get semi-back on track on offense. They're not going to score in the single digits again. They're not going to score in the teens if often, if, if ever. It's not going to be very often, so I don't regret that pick. I would do it again. Yeah, well, I'm going to take that same game, Pete, and I'm going to go the exact opposite. Give me that fat bastard, Milanakis. I hate myself. (laughs) Yeah, 
I hate myself because I took the Titans plus 10 and a half and the over, which again, if you get the Chiefs to hit their floor, you do get it. But still, I'm a clam because I should have just taken the Titans to cover the spread straight up. I've been crushing this Chiefs team for the last couple of weeks. The Titans have looked great the last couple of weeks now after that loss to the Jets. And I should have just taken them plus four and a half. And instead, I was like, ah, let me get it to 10 and give me the over. I should have taken the Titans to just cover the spread. I'm very disappointed in myself that I didn't do that because, again, I was expecting the Chiefs to struggle. I, I, I respect that because I know that you've been kind of beating yourself up over on picking the side correctly and basically hedging with your two-team teaser strategy, right? Like you take that strategy and say, all right, I kind of like this side, but I like it more with the six points added to it. Let me do that with the over-under, and I feel great about it, right? And you've done that a couple times. You did it with the Bills against the Chiefs as well, where you picked the Bills correctly, and you got the side wrong. So I feel that, that that's a little bit more of a self-hate situation. But I, what does that tell you, though? You have to trust your gut like a little more? Trust your trust your studies? Like, what, what do you do to adjust to that now moving forward? I think it's more so less, like, making sure I'm a hundred percent on if I get, if I want to include the over under as well, because that's been the majority of the losses for me with these two team teasers is I've got the over unders wrong right. for whatever reason. One, one offense doesn't show up on a day like the chiefs did on Sunday, which again, nobody was going to predict they were going to score three points. Um, or if it's just, you know, expecting two teams to kind of move the ball at a fast tempo and there's a lot more running and it's a lot more slow and teams not capitalizing in the red zone. Um, so I, I think it's just making sure that if I'm going to go two-team teaser route rather than just the straight-up spread, making sure that I'm 150% on the over-under as well. Um, because, again, I had Titans plus four and a half. I was like, all right, I think they can cover that, but God forbid they lose on like a, you know the last-minute drive or the Chiefs score a touchdown um, and win the game by six or seven. Uh, but, again, should have trusted my gut. And I, I think I could add on one more. Ah! hate myself because you coupled that with your fifth pick and the Mahomes passing yards over which is very much so tied to that over in the game as well uh so that's a double hate for you unfortunately right there yeah although again like I said you know no Christian Fulton no Monty Hooker the Titans secondary has been bad they've given up a ton of yards through the air I was like there's like even if the Chiefs do lose I was like Mahomes is going for 375 maybe 400 yards and they can't run the ball yeah, and again, he throws for 205 and gets hurt. So that sounds more like a... I regret nothing! So we, re- we don't regret one of them. Let's go, baby. All right, let me go on to my second one. And unfortunately for me this time... I hate myself. Because I bet on the Philadelphia Eagles. I should have known when I realized how much hype this side was getting. A lot of people were talking about the Eagles plus three and how it was the nice pick. The Raiders come off the emotional win. And I always kind of hate incorporating some of that emotional stuff into it. Cause I like to just trust the football side of things. And I didn't do it that time. And I think I like the Eagles as a cover opportunity when they're six to, you know, five to nine point underdogs. Cause they have heavy garbage time usage and Jalen hurts is a fantasy God. He's a sucky quarterback who gets 25 fantasy points every single week. Cause he crushes in garbage time and he throws a touchdown or runs in a touchdown in garbage time every single week. Uh, but at plus three is where I got them, which was better than the close. So in that regard, I regret nothing because I got it at plus three. It closed at plus one. I, I got value there. However, I think I, I feel more comfortable back in the Eagles when they have an opportunity to backdoor cover and you don't have a strong uh, opportunity to do so. 
at just plus three. Jalen Hurts might not have it as a winning quarterback. As a fantasy quarterback, he has the whole bag and more. So I don't know. I kind of regret that one a little bit. Yeah. Um, for for my last one here, um, it's hard to have a regret when you lose by a half a point. Mm. So the Rams, yeah, I, I don't regret that one. The two huge favorites on the week, the Cardinals and the Rams. Houston's been terrible. That was an easy cover for the Cardinals straight up, let alone I needed them 13 and a half. They win by 26, and then I had the Rams nine and a half against the Lions and credit that damn Dan Campbell because they got off to a great start. They score a touchdown off of a fake punt. Then they onside kick, or no, they score a touchdown on a screen. Then they onside kick and recover. Then they fake punt on fourth down and end up getting a field goal, and it's 10-0 in the first seven minutes of the game. That ultimately proves to be the difference. The Rams only win by nine. I needed them to win by 10. After that, Jared Goff showed us again who Jared Goff is, and that is a mediocre quarterback throwing interceptions in the worst possible time. And even that, look, Detroit had a chance to win that game. Like, I think maybe I was, maybe I'm a bit fortunate to that they won, that I only missed by half a point because that was 25 19. Lions going in for a touchdown. He throws a pick in the end zone. And then the Rams go down and kick the field goal for insurance. They win 28 19. But again, Detroit after that first quarter looked like the Detroit Lions that they've been all season, which is bad. The defense had trouble stopping the Rams all that second half. And what I thought was going to be, uh, you know, a straight cover for them as well, or, or nearly that, they end up winning by nine rather than 10. So I, I can't regret that. The Cardinals got it done. Again, 17, a 16 point spread and a 20 point spread. That's tough to kind of justify taking that straight up. Um, but yeah, I should have did it with Arizona. Uh, but again, the Rams cost me by a half a point. I, I, I don't regret that. And I'll have to join you there because I live bet that one. I was watching it closely. I was on my fan duel waiting for the refresh on the Rams, what the spread was going to be for a hot second. I saw eight and a half. I didn't get it in, in time. All of a sudden it was 10. I was like, ah, I don't like it at 10. I see nine and a half. I'm like, let's go. I'm, I'm locking it in nine and a half. What a live bet. I'm going to flip my Sunday around. Not that I was having a bad Sunday. I was having an average one. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crush this. What a great get! Rams uh, minus nine and a half live. They're gonna come back and dominate. And I, uh, I lost that one there with you, Pat. So damn, we got, we got beat together by that damn Dan Campbell. That damn, got, damn Campbell. We got got damn, yeah. damn Campbell. Yeah. Did he cry? At least he didn't cry in the post game this time. <laughs> he, he probably wanted to. He probably wanted to. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm about to cry. All right. So that's pretty much all we got for today. Another top-tier episode, in my opinion, but I might be biased, of Pat Boyle and Pete, the Pete and Pat special. You know how we do it out here on Subway Sports Talk. Uh, any last words for you? It could be football, basketball, baseball, life updates. I don't say this enough, but check out Patty Boyle everywhere because he's everywhere on Twitter, at 80YLE, the whole nine. My, my guy is crushing it consistently, at WFAN. Keep an eye out for some possible announcement there. Uh, as well as your own podcast, The Boyle and Shen Show. You know, subscribe, rate, review to that, John, as well. So, Pat, any last word from you on, on anything? Yeah, no, I appreciate that, brother. Thanks for all the love, man. I, I love doing these episodes with you. Um, I think we do a great job. I think Hopefully everybody that listens to it uh, enjoys it. I know you get a lot of love and a lot of feedback. Uh, I do as well from from my uh, my guys that I played baseball with at Drew. So, uh, yeah, the only thing I'll say is this. Yeah, stay. Uh, we, we'll have some news the next time we hop on. Um, between uh, for me and Big Zoo at, at the fan, I'll say that. 
I love it. I love a little teaser action there, and I love a little teaser action on Sunday. You could expect more from me. The teasers were 2-0 for me this week, baby. We do like that. So, all right, that's all we got for Subway Sports Talk, y'all. Thank you for listening. You know what to do. Cheers.